The Black and White Network now proudly presents Moms Across America, a new program where women can speak their minds openly and freely without fear of reprisal. Moms Across America is about the issues of the day confronting America from a mom's point of view. And now, here are the moms. Hello, Moms Across America, and thank you so much for joining us again. This is Vicki Tonkins with my co-hosts Kathleen Fitzgerald and Samantha Goldberg. Our guest today is uh, Alan E. Parker. He is the president of the Justice Foundation, which was founded in 1993. And the foundation seeks to protect the fundamental rights and freedoms essential to the preservation of American society by providing free legal services to promote these rights. Well, that was a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Parker, for joining us today, and we're looking forward to our conversation. I know much of your work has to do with abortion, abortion rights, abortion industry, and moms. So uh, we're just going to jump right in. I think I can I leave with the first question, ladies, if you don't mind, because this is kind of burning in my mind. So I know that you were part of uh, Norma Covey, who was Roe versus Wade as well as Sandra Cano, which is Doe versus Bolton. I guess my biggest burning question for you today, sir, is um, what were your thoughts and your feelings when you heard Roe v. Wade being overturned? Wow, <clears throat> I, I can remember exactly where I was. I'll probably always <laughs> remember that. I happened to be at a National Association of Christian Lawmakers, and I was about to speak on the Dobbs case, which just reversed Roe v. Wade. And the word came out about an hour before I was going to speak that they had reversed Roe v. Wade. Now, I actually was expecting it, though I have worked on the issue for 22 years. Wow. I never knew exactly when it would occur, but I knew that uh, abortion is a covenant with death and it's an agreement with the grave. It's a horrible injustice and it's damaging to women. I want to say that right at the start. I also represented uh, 2,249 women in the Dobbs case who had had abortions. So everything I know about abortion, everything that I'm speaking about today came from the courageous women of our project called Operation Outcry Silent No More which was women who'd been hurt by abortion, giving us their testimonies. And they were in the Dobbs case asking abortion to be stopped in America so more women would not be injured. And because there's a better way called the safe haven law in America today, which can help every woman without killing the child and injuring herself. Wow, that's amazing. Kathleen, I know you're burning with questions here. <laughs> Thank you, Vicki. Uh, Mr. Parker, it's an honor to have you on the show. I want to encourage everyone um, to go to his website, justicefoundation.org. That's justicefoundation.org. And you've got a beautiful, it's about a two-minute video on YouTube called The Moral Outcry. Very lovely, very nicely done. Yeah, um, so I did have a question. Uh, you're welcome, sir. Um, about the Amicus One. When, so when the 
when the embryo was frozen, was it fertilized or was it not? And then how did they establish when you were there uh, when life began so that we can help dispel uh, this, this uh, 50 year plus lie, all right, that's going, um, going on? Well, thank you for that question. And I encourage everybody to go to our website and look at that video of the moral outcry petition. We also represented the founder, Melinda Tebow, a mother like yourselves, though she may be an unusual mother. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But she's a mother. Uh, and we had five reasons why Roe should be reversed. But you're asking about Hannah S., we also represented Hannah. She was the first formerly frozen human embryo to ever file a brief at the United States Supreme Court. We're all former embryos. That's how we start out in life. When the sperm and the egg come together, fertilization occurs, a new human life is created at that moment. And she was conceived outside her mother's womb in a Petri dish through in vitro fertilization. There are actually hundreds of thousands of these children that have been created now. But as far as we know, <clears throat> she's the first one to ever file a brief in a U.S. Supreme Court case. We represented her. And here's what she said. <clears throat> in 1993, Roe said, Roe case itself said, if the child is viable outside the womb, albeit with artificial aid, then the states can ban abortion. Well, she was viable outside her mother's womb. She was conceived in a Petri dish. The sperm and the egg come together. They're allowed to grow for a few days, and then they're frozen. And wow. then she and two siblings were, were frozen for two and a half years. But what, was she alive? Of course she was alive, because two and a half years later, she and two of her siblings were then placed in Marlene, her adoptive mother's womb, and Marlene gave birth to a baby. Marlene could not have children. So these frozen embryos are called snowflake children because each snowflake is unique and different. Uh, but so that's the same way with each of these human embryos that are human beings. So it was the first time a form, and, and so her baby picture is a Petri dish with three or four cells in it. And then her birth picture, we put her little baby picture like after birth. And then we put her graduation from college. She's got a degree in social work now and is working to help uh, adoptive children and adopting families uh, after, she first, after she finished her degree in social work. Wow, fascinating. Thank you for, for sharing that. Sam, Samantha, do you have? Uh, my, my questions become very difficult. Mr. Parker, it's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for being on the show. Um, Thank you. I, I find myself as a, as a human being, obviously I've had children and I'm, you know, I am all about creating a wonderful world with lots of beautiful children. But I find myself, and I know the American public also find themselves at a place where Mm, where is the gray line uh, between the time where a child or a, we'll just call it an egg, um, when they are, for example, mm, it's a difficult thing to, to express. Uh, when a child is, 
is not giving consent, say a, a, an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old child does not give the consent for an individual to impregnate them, which happens during that time. It happens all over the world every day. Where is it yes. a difficult situation to determine the viability of an egg not being quite fertilized yet? What is the window where a child would be able, if they needed to abort because they're so very young, so very young, and it doesn't become a life at that point? Where is it? Where does that fall? There's a gray line. It's a very thin one, but it's, uh, you know what I'm asking here? It's like, when, when do people say, no, you know, that child should not have to spend her, you know, eight-year-old life being impregnated uh, after she was raped, for example. When does that become an issue for the people that are against abortion? That's an excellent question. And these are deep, deep issues. And again, I want to emphasize that I'm basing this on the testimonies of what women have given me. We have the largest body in the world of direct sworn testimony from women as to how their abortion hurt them. Some of them were victims of incest, and which is what you're describing, and some were victims of forcible stranger rape. Okay, and that's a hard question. Now, scientifically, before you're a human, you're, well, you, well, when the sperm and the egg are separated, there's no human involved. Men have sperm, women have eggs in their right. uterus, okay? Uh, but when the sperm and the egg come together, as a matter of science, that is a member of the species, Homo sapiens, from the moment of that joining, okay? Now, you're asking a deeper question. Well, so that's a human being. It's alive. And if it is not interrupted, it will grow until 80, 90 years old, wherever the end of that life comes. And all that information is in the DNA of that human being. The two strands, this is amazing. This is incredible science. And a lot of this we did not know in 1973. So we have new science that shows things we didn't know back then. And the court said in 1973, at this point in the development of man's knowledge, we can't speculate when life begins. DNA testing didn't exist. Sonograms didn't exist. So going back, so it is a human being. Now the question is, are we going to let it live or are we going to say there's some greater reason why perhaps that child should die? Because we are talking about dying. So in incest, I'll deal with that one. And I might push the age back a little bit. I don't think most girls get to be pregnant and capable of being impregnated till about 12 to 13 to 14. The normal age for pregnancy is considered uh, actually 15 through 44, childbearing age. But some truly maybe as little as 13. So you have a young girl she's being abused, and she gets pregnant. A lot of people say we should definitely abort that child. Well, that only actually enables the abuse to continue because it's done in secret. And if the baby is not grown, one, the girl doesn't get pregnant, no one sees it, most of the time the abuse continues. Whereas if she gets pregnant and people say, well, who's the father of this child? Even if the man lies, whoever got her impregnated, DNA testing can find out who the uh, father is, and that man should go to prison. No question about it. I actually, I actually personally believe in the death penalty for raping women. The Supreme Court has said we can't do that anymore. They said it's cruel and unusual people, but we used to execute people for raping and abusing women. But today they would go to prison. So, and that with respect to rape, I brought that up. 
women fall into two categories. Some women get the abortion because everybody tells them you've got to get the abortion and, and maybe they want the abortion. But many of the women tell us that in actuality, then they begin to feel like an abuser rather than the abused. They feel the child was innocent and I took the child's life before I was the victim of a crime. And now I'm the criminal. And this is what women tell me happens to them sometimes. And again, the child is innocent. In international law, we don't execute pregnant women because we would be killing a child also. We wait till the baby's born, then separate the two. And that's what I believe should happen is we should give the woman free counseling from the state because it's a traumatic situation. The, many of the women who then kept the baby say that as unimaginable it is to us, and I'm just telling you what the women told me, uh, giving life in the midst of that tragic situation brought life to them, even if they choose to have someone else raise the child. For women, and your audience would know it better than me, it is a life-giving thing to give life, even if the woman is not in a situation where she's able to care or parent that child for the rest of the child's life. And that's the other thing that's brand new that didn't exist. We have a safe haven law today. Every single state has a safe haven law. Under that law, no woman in America, no matter where she lives, all 50 states, if she does not want to take care of the baby, if she can't parent that baby, she can be free of the baby by releasing the child to a hospital or fire station or other designated safe space within a certain period of time after birth. And she can be free. The, me the meaning of Roe was to give women freedom. But instead, what it does was open a door to pain and suffering. We didn't know, the court said, we didn't know this was a human life. In 1992, the Supreme Court said abortion causes devastating psychological consequences to women. But I'm sure there are women in your audience who weren't told that by the abortion industry. They weren't told, oh, by the way, the Supreme Court says you might suffer devastating psychological consequences. The industry lies to women. They don't show them the fetal development. They just tell them it's a mass of tissue. I remember one woman said to me, they lied to me, Mr. Parker. They said, 10 minutes, you'll never have to think about it again. And there's not a day go by. I haven't thought about it or where my child would be at this time if I had not taken the life of my own child. So the safe haven law, we can have justice for the child and mercy for the mother. We're saying as a society, don't hurt yourself, please. If you want to do something different with your life, give us the baby. And in exchange for some months of pregnancy, which is serious, we'll give you 18 years of freedom from parental expense and obligation. That's a pretty good balance, I think, and that many states are starting to make. Uh, because I we would want say to help so, too. Sorry, Mr. Parker, I have to interrupt you. We have to go on break. This is Moms Across America. We'll be right back with Ellen Parker. Stay tuned. Moms Across America and the Ashbrook Center wants you and your family and friends to participate in their program called Food for Body and Soul an educational program designed to provide information and education on the founding documents of our country. If you go to getmyconstitution.com, you'll get a free copy of the book of the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and many other important documents that were used in the founding of our country. 
Spend time with your children, reading the booklet and talking to them about what you believe to help build their foundation. So go to GetMyConstitution.com and get your free book. So the second half of Moms Across America, we have a special guest, Alan Parker. He is the president of the Justice Foundation. Now, I had to stop you, didn't want to. So let's get back into it. But let's talk about solutions and recovery uh, right now. That's where I would like to go because that's where we pretty much left off. And the last show I mentioned you because I knew you were gonna be on here. Uh, and we were talking about what can women do to protect other women? Where can women go? You have a wealth of resources, and I'm just really impressed and, and in awe with everything that you're doing out there. So um, many of us have had abortions. Many of us are working through those or spent lifetimes working through that, the trauma. Um, we all know that you know, God forgives, and we are here as servants of God, and, you know, we can live lives of service and uh, choose life, and so um, with that, Mr. Parker, could you please uh, tell us, where can women go to find your resources? Well, thank you again for all those kind words, and I give all the credit to God, uh, who's called us to do this 22 years ago. He told us to collect the testimonies of women hurt by abortion. And we represented Norma McCorvey, who was Roe of Roe v. Wade, and Sandra Kano, who both changed their minds about abortion. Well, actually, Norma began to work in abortion clinics, and she saw the unsanitary conditions and the women being treated unfairly and callously. So on our website, thejusticefoundation.org, you can see Norma and Sandra's testimony, which they gave to the Supreme Court, asking for these two landmark cases to be overturned. That's never happened before in American history, that two people who won landmark cases wanted them to reverse. So we began to collect the testimonies of women hurt by abortion on behalf of Norma and Sandra, Rowan Doe. And in this Dobbs case, uh, well, we called that project OperationOutcry.org. So on our website, just go to the JusticeFoundation.org. You can sign the Moral Outcry petition if you want to do that. But if you've had an abortion, and I know this is a terrible, difficult, terribly difficult time, all the discussion about abortion is very hard for women. And uh, we at, at on our Justice Foundation website on on the Operation Outcry link you can find abortion recovery resources free uh, across the country. And if you've never told anyone else about the abortion, if you're not healed enough to talk about it, not that you have to talk about it with everyone, but then I strongly urge you to go through an abortion recovery. Uh, sometimes they're a weekend, sometimes they're a Bible study. And it's very interesting that women have had to find the healing for this when the, uh, the psychiatric industry would not help them. And many women's issues in the past have had that same problem. What do Wait I a mean? Minute. Mr. Yeah. Parker, um, I read, uh, was it Sandra's testimony? 
I can't remember which lady, I'm so sorry, uh, where they said she was just kind of not mentally there to have babies and they were requesting that her and her husband didn't have marital, uh, you know, relations um, because of that. I mean, can, I mean, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I read that. I mean, if anybody wants to go, which one, which lady was that? That was Sandra Kano. And okay. some of her children had been taken away from her. So she wasn't, you know, she had low income, low education, and two of her children had been taken away. But she called me on February 12, 2000, and said, Mr. Parker, that Dovey Bolton case has been a doom on my shoulders since the day I got involved. She thought she was getting her children back from protective services. And then these fraudulent documents were given to the Supreme Court claiming that she wanted an abortion. Instead, she fled to Oklahoma to avoid being forced to have an abortion. Right, and, and, her, and her mom, right? Now, I just wanted to jump in because this is so fascinating. Uh, her, her, they promised to, she, if they, she prom, they promised her to come, if, don't, we won't make you get an abortion if you come back. And then her mom saw, hey, we won on the news. And she didn't even know she was actually even in, in the courtroom. She wasn't even in the courtroom. Is that right? That is absolutely right. And it wasn't until about 1988 that she was able to open her records and prove that she was the Mary Doe of Dovey Bolton and she never wanted an abortion. There was actual fraud on the court in that case. Yes. And, and I'm her attorney. Often, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. And I wonder how often it happens, you know, just like when, you know, Captain Jimmy's 50 year old lie, you know, of women not even knowing what the abortion is or, or what it's going to do. I mean, I've talked to so many women who have had re abortions and there is never one that I have spoken to who said, oh yeah, I'm so glad I made that decision. The regret and the, the depression and yep. the different things that a woman goes through. And then I hear, you know, the abortion industry talk about how uh, this is all about women's health and women's freedom. Well, you're putting women in bondage when you first of all do not tell them the truth, and then after they have this procedure, no one gives them any type of counseling uh, for them to get through the process. And I hear this over and over and over, not to mention some of the women who become sterile from this procedure. Yes, someday there's going to be, someday soon there's going to be massive numbers of lawsuits against the abortion industry just sure. like there was against the tobacco industry industry mm -hmm. when the truth finally came out women and people were getting lung cancer and dying but nobody knew it women have been injured for these last 49 years and some knew it but it was denied by the abortion industry even yeah. today they're still trying to die they'll tell they'll tell you women are crazy if they complain too much about what the abortion did to them. And we need to listen to women. I hope you'll have some of our women leaders come back who have become psychologists and counselors, social workers, because they and many of the women who work in pregnancy resource centers want to help other women avoid the pain and sorrow and suffering that they did. And, and uh, they can go over all the symptoms. And sometimes people don't recognize it, like an inability to bond with other children overprotectiveness, substance abuse, depression, allowing men to treat you badly because you felt worthless over this. And if you did try to talk to a psychologist,
they'd often tell you, oh, don't feel bad about it. You shouldn't feel bad about the abortion. Had to do it. And maybe that's because they had abortions. And a lot of the anger on the other side is because <clears throat> the conscience bothers people. And if you don't repent and turn to God, if you don't say, my God, what have I done? Then you're going to justify, justify, and you want other people to join you in the misery. I didn't do it. It wasn't anything bad. I'm stuffing the bad feelings down, and you need to get an abortion, just like me. There's some of that on the other side as well. Mr. Parker, I have a, a very interesting question to ask you, and um, obviously uh, this has to do with the day after pill, which was originally put together um, to uh, discontinue the abortion route. How do you feel about that? Well, this is a terrible, terrible tragedy. Again, there's deception involved. Oh, just take the pill. That'll be easy. You don't have to do a surgical abortion. Everybody can take pills. We take pills all the time. But I remember in my own mind right now, the crying and weeping and wailing of a woman who's one of many who called us and said, my God, my God, I'm looking at my baby. They lied to me. They lied to me. They told me it wasn't a baby. This is a baby. This is a baby. And she was weeping and crying. They lied to me because when you have an abortion at the abortion clinic, you won't see the baby's remains. But if you have the pill, the baby comes out in your home, in your bathroom or your bedroom, and it becomes the scene of trauma. And it's very, very, uh, very traumatic because you can see the baby in your own hands. And it's often a very bloody mess in your own home because you're, you're going through a pregnancy, a, a, a birth. But right. that first, the first pill kills the baby and the second causes what they call cramps, but have been described by many women as birth pains and because the body is cramping up to get rid of uh, the placenta and the uh, child in the womb. What if I, I'm speaking about, when I say the day after pill, I mean someone that um, oh. used protection um, and, and unfortunately um, it didn't work. And so the very next day they, they contact their doctor, they run to the pharmacist and they get this pill to stop the insemination process between the egg, uh, the embryo and, and the sperm. Well, that might not be causing the death of a child. If you take it right after sex, you don't know whether there's been conception or exactly. not. Uh, that's, it, that's the pill. I'm sorry, the other more yeah, common no, I wanted people to. I wanted our viewers to understand that there, there is a pill for those types of accidents. I'm not for the pill that would cause a spontaneous abortion, if you will, at their home, so they have to deal with it on their own. I'm not for that. Um, but I, I do think about those cases where people do take the proper precautions and it, it, and it doesn't work. So they're protected up until a certain point where life begins. How, how many days is that? Yes, and I don't technically know the answer. Yeah. Well, I, well, I do know the answer. If fertilization has occurred, then you have a human being. Right. And it's acting as an abortifacient, something which is aborting a human. And let me talk about something else, IUDs, intrauterine devices. Uh, my wife and I used an intrauterine device uh, for many years. We wanted to control the number of children. And, and we got pregnant on the intrauterine, intrauterine device and IUDs 
can kill the child in the womb. And that's what happened to us. And we then saw that baby and it was a, a boy. It was the only boy we'd ever had. We had, a, we had a name for a son before we got married, Matthew Patrick Parker. And that's the name we gave to that child. But I was blessed by the Lord to have three daughters after that, which I think helped prepare me for kind of a ministry to women. <laughs> uh, and God uses all things together for good. And um, I want to say also, there are many women in your audience who can't have children right now. The fourth argument of the, the, there's three big reasons in our moral outcry petition why we said to the court, please reverse abortion. Number one, it's killing human being. Number two, it's hurting women. Number three, we have a safe haven law today. Well, what will happen to those children if women use it? The fourth argument is there are one to two million women every year in America waiting to adopt newborn children. Uh, that's because 10% of American women between 15 and 44, the childbearing age, are unable to have a baby after a year of trying. That's 6 million women who are trying to have a baby and can't have it after a few years of trying to fix things or keep trying, hope it works. One to two million of them say, I want a baby. I will adopt a newborn child. I could give a loving home. So we say, stop killing the children, stop hurting women, give the baby to the state through the safe haven law, and the states will give them to the waiting families, one to two million every year on a revolving basis. It's not just backed up. New women come in and they get sexually transmitted diseases or something in the early years that may cause infertility, or many women wait until their late 30s or to have a baby, and that can cause infertility. So, you know, it's a revolving cohort. We can solve this problem in a much more just and inhumane, uh, humane way than killing the child and hurting women. That's the bloody barbaric way that someday will be as unthinkable as abortion and segregation. Mr. Parker. I mean, it's slavery because, yes. Mr. Parker, first of all, it's, it's time to go. I wanted to thank you on behalf of, of my co-host, Vicki Tonkins and Kathleen Fitzgerald, myself, Samantha Goldberg. You have been so informative for um, a lot of our viewers. I think a lot of the questions that we've asked are, are very good and great to have you back on the show because this is one of those subjects that we can go in many directions and I think people need to have good solid advice about our history as well as what's available today and all the changes that have occurred and of course yourself and all the great accomplishments that you did earlier in your career um, and as, as well as what you're fighting for today. Um, but we wanted to thank you for coming here and, and explaining to us and helping us better understand um, life and, and abortion and what that does uh, to a human being, especially a female. Um, but would love to have you back again and, and hope that you will inform us of other things that we can better help our audience uh, better understand their decisions before they make their uh, choice with their child. Yes. So I thank you. I, yes, thank, thank you, Dr. You. Park, Mr. Park. I keep wanting to call you doctor. <laughs> and I urge you to open that door for the women of Operation Outcry and have women to woman talk with them. So that I'm a gatekeeper for the women. I hope they can be on with us and with That's you. That's a today. thumbs up from all of us. I know that for sure. For sure. Yes, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. And moms across America, remember, you are America. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
If you are interested in reaching our vast black and white network audience with your products or services, then contact Hollis Media Group at 1-855-673-8635. That's 1-855-673-8635 for more information on this great opportunity.